0: Usually, Tim and Kay have the kids uh, go, but um, since Tim is part of our, a big, big, huge part of our wanna Game Time, he runs Iwana Game Time. The kids are familiar with him, and I want them to hear his story of how God has worked in his life and in their life and through just uh, his power. One of the uh, opportunities we have as people is to pray, and Tim is going to share a little bit about prayer with us. Prayer can be all over the place with confusion, and, um, and I just wanted to share a little story. It's kind of cute, and I don't intend to offend anybody by sharing this story. But it's it's a thought provoking, but it uh, it's also kind of cute. Um, there was a little boy who wanted a new bike, and so uh, he was listening to the radio. And as he'd gone through the radio, he heard this this preacher. And the preacher was talking about prayer and how if you pray right, if you declare God's mighty power, God's strength, God's omnipotence, God's transcendence, that you're praying to that God and that God can deliver to you what you ask for. So that night as he got on his knees, he said, Great and awesome, holy, majestic, Redeemer, King of the universe, Lord of lords, and God who is sovereign over all molecules in the universe. I would ask that you would bring a yellow bike to my house tomorrow morning at 6.30 in the morning. And so he went to bed. And when he woke up in the morning, no bike. So he thought, well, hmm. He goes back to the radio finds a different channel. And so this guy says, hey, when you pray, you need to declare to God exactly who you are and what you want and tell him you know that uh you declare with authority that it's comes from God that you have authority to cause this to come about and you can claim what you want so the little boy went back to his knees and said okay God this is Joe this is what I want I want a yellow bike not bright bright yellow but moderately yellow and it has to have 10 um what are the send 10 speeds? And I wanted to have, you know, if it could if it could have cards on the wheels that click, that would really be nice too. And I declare that tomorrow morning at 6.30 when I wake up, that bike will be there. So guess what? He goes to sleep. And he wakes up in the morning and there's no bike. So he looks around the house and he sees this uh, statue of Mary. And his mom is watching, so he grabs that statue and he runs outside, and he comes back without the statue. And uh, later that day, you know, his mom's listening to his prayer. And he said, uh, "Jesus, this is Joe. If you want to see your mother again." <laughs> um, so not necessarily just to cause us to think. And so with Tim's story there's a, it, it, it's tons of prayer. It's times where you come to the end of yourself and God has to still be God, which he is. And so even you remind us, Elsie, the endurance and to stay steadfast, praying with faith. And uh, God's the only one that can supply that endurance and teach us how to rightly bring our request to him. And so Tim, if you would come up and share what God's done in your life. Your lives, your family's life. No, you can use this. Is that okay? Be...
1: Is it gonna make my ears? It's not. to stick out already. Take my hair, man. You got a different size head than I do. Okay. Think. One second, we'll, we'll arrange this. <laughs> fix this, and this just needs to be pulled out of it. How did you put this through
2: the butt? Pull that There we go. Can't really come anywhere close. I got fat
1: lips. This goes up on. This helps take care of the nerves, yeah. Okay. Now bring that down that bend. There you go.
2: Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay, thanks. Um, I like why pastors like this. You can walk around. <clears throat> How many of you remember Pastor Harvey at church here? Raise your hands. Okay. Not too many. Pastor Harvey was a pastor here quite a while ago. Pastor Harvey, when he would preach a sermon, he would be so emotional. He would cry. And I'm sitting in my seat, probably in exactly the same spot, and I'd say, Harvey, man up. You can do this. Don't be, you know, you're a man. God turned that around. I just wanted to start out with that, and then I think it'll be clear in just a little bit. Um, I'm a man. How many of you are men out there? How many of you are fathers? Husbands? Okay? And I tell you a little story about being a man, who's married to a woman. I do some mechanic work. I can get oily and greasy. And I came home one night and said, Kay was mad at me. She said, you're getting grease on my clothes. I said, well, no, I don't think I did. Well, I got some white clothes and they've got grease all over them. They're ruined. And she said it in a loving way. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't think I did, but, you know. Well, what ended up happening, we found out after a little bit, after more ruined clothes, the drum in the washing machine, the bearing was getting bad, and it had opened up so every time she did a load of laundry, grease would get out and get all over the clothes. So being a man, we've got to fix it. So I looked, and, and it was from Sears, and we went and saw what the part would cost, and it was really expensive, and it's like, uh, and I did that growl. Uh, we're going to have to get a new washing machine. Well, I worked, at, uh, worked with a guy, and he was a punk kid. He was 18 years old, didn't know anything. And I told him the story, and he goes, well, go to the dump, and look for a washing machine that will match your washing machine. And I said, you stupid kid, to myself, because he's a punk kid. He doesn't know anything. He said, well, we've done it. I'm not going to go to the dump and dig out a washing machine that somebody else has thrown away to get the part that I needed. And they won't even have that part. Well, came to be a Saturday. Kay and I are going to go to Bemidji because we have to get a washing machine. So I'm just pulling out of the driveway, and it's like, okay, I'll go to the dump. But I'm not going to find anything. (laughs) Kay and I go out to the dump. Saturday mornings you can go out there, and they have a spot where they throw all of the the white goods, if you've been to the dump before. And we got out. I went around one side. Kay went around the other side. Kay took maybe two or three steps and goes, here it is. I looked at it, and I'm thinking, no, she doesn't know what she's talking about. It was. It was the exact same washing machine. Looked at the part that was bad. This one was good. Didn't cost me anything. We hauled it back into town, took two washing machines, put them back together as one. We're still using that washing machine. Now, I ran into that kid. This is like almost six, seven years ago. I ran into that kid last summer, and I said, "You know, you know when he told me to go to the dump, and you know because he knew that we fixed it, and I had to thank him for it." And I said, "We're still using that washing machine, that washing machine." Okay, so that shows you what a man's uh, typically what a man does. If there's a problem, we want to fix it. Sam has a problem with his bike. You fix it. If you're a mechanic, Floyd, you fix it. When your wife has a problem, you can't fix it. (laughs) I've learned, I've learned from being married. She really doesn't want an answer. She wants to tell you what the problem is. Okay? She wants to share her feelings. So we've finally, after many years, We've come up to this do you want to fix this or are you just venting and almost always it's i'm just venting so i just want to lay that groundwork for you about being a man and what we do as we fix things or we try to fix things okay, I'm going to tell you a story 20 years ago today was a wednesday i came home from work we sit around the table and we're having we're having our supper and uh, I'm looking at my middle son. His name is Jerome. His picture up there now. It's really cool. I can look down here and see that. Now you know why pastor always looks down. <sighs> Jerome just didn't look good. This was a Wednesday. On the Sunday before that, we had been up at Clearbrook at Closter Clear Park. If any of you guys have kids that have played up at Closter Park, we were up there for a softball tournament. And Jerome had kind of went for a ball, and he, we thought he had pulled a muscle because he had been complaining starting on Monday morning. His back hurt, and we think, well, okay, you probably hurt it—you know, pulled a muscle when you went for that ball. Well, so we didn't do anything Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I come home from work, and I'm sitting across the table from him, and, and he doesn't look good. And he's still kind of complaining. We felt him you know, a little feverish well, better go to the doctor. So he went to the doctor on Thursday, and they did, looked at him over, and they did some blood tests, and then they said, well, he, you really need to come back in on Friday, and we need to do some more stuff. So he came back in on Friday. And uh, he's still, he's got a fever. His back really hurts. He can't get comfortable. He can't sleep. And he's starting to get more annoying. <laughs> And we had a long weekend. We tried every home remedy we could think of. Nothing worked. We went for rides in the car. We went tried food things. We tried Tylenol and all the normal things that we do to fix a sore muscle. Nothing worked. We had another go into the doctor on Monday morning, okay? And the doctor pulls us aside. And it's as interesting to me. As it, I thought, no, this can't be good because he's supposed to be off today. He pulled us aside into a side room. And uh, he told us, your son probably has leukemia. And you need to go to Fargo. And they can, you know, diagnose it properly there. And so not knowing... What leukemia was. And um, I have to pull this stuff out here real quick. Not knowing what leukemia was, Kay's going, Well, Tim has Fridays off, so we could go out on Friday. And the doctor said, <laughs> He said, No. I'll give you 15 minutes to go home, and then you need to leave. This is where Harvey comes in there's going to be times that I'm going to have to stop and can try to gain my composure. So we go home and we pack a few clothes and we head to Fargo. We get to Fargo. Uh, they put him on some IVs and different things, and he's, he's in the hospital. And they admit him right away. Um, We're kind of, they haven't diagnosed it as leukemia as of yet. But we're walking around in Fargo outside for just a little bit because we're going to try to grab something to eat and we needed to get out of the hospital. Okay, okay, is that easier to hear now? Put it down to this day. I can't walk around now. That was a way of dealing with stuff. Okay that's okay Um I can hear better. so we are walking around. The first thing that happens, there's a couple that we knew were friends with our oldest son. Well, their son was friends with our oldest son, Spencer. They met us at the hospital. And not that they could do anything, but they were there. The next morning, So this was on Tuesday morning. They did a bone marrow test to confirm that he had leukemia. This is really bad. I don't want to get too gory about it, but they go in with a tube in through your hip to get to your hip bone, and they bore through the bone, and they draw out your bone marrow. Unbeknownst to us, this is supposed to be like a five-minute procedure. It was a 20-minute procedure. Apparently, from what the doctor told us, is that Jerome's marrow, which should be a liquid, had crystallized. And it took him 20, well, it took a total of 20 minutes for him to get enough bone marrow to make the test. He was literally laying on top of Jerome using his weight on his tool to get enough bone marrow to make a diagnosis. And Jerome, this is where I get, I get mad too. Um, they gave him a local. I was with my wife when she gave birth. That's the most screaming I've ever heard out of pain. He was screaming louder than her. So they came back with a diagnosis. They checked his bone marrow, came back with a diagnosis that, um, oh man, I'm already out of time. They came back with a diagnosis that he had leukemia. The doctor said, your son is sick, he's going to get sicker, and you may have a month. Now that sounds harsh, but Kay's cousin was diagnosed with leukemia, and a month later he passed away. It can move that fast. He had AML, which is the acute kind. It moves very quickly. So I don't have much time. I need to get through this very quickly. Um, That was our first week. They They started chemo right away. Chemo is terrible stuff. And uh, it 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 doesn't go well. That's why those who are going through chemo now and and radiation, we have a, a tremendous amount of sympathy for what they're going through. Um. So he started his chemo. We we're kind of at the end of his chemo. They told us, what you're gonna, what we're gonna do with you is they tested his brother, Spencer, and." And Landon, and um, at that time, I'm not sure what it is now. They would they would do a testing, and Spencer was six out of six. They were looking for things that would make a combati- compatible donor. Sam was a donor for somebody with bone marrow an unrelated donor, which actually is kind of rare, but six out of six is almost it. It's rare because it usually only happens in twins. Um, so they said, well, this is what we're planning on doing. You're going to do two two rounds of chemo. They'll take about a month each between administering it and they build back up your system. They kill everything in your bone marrow until you have just a little bit left. And then hopefully that regenerates. And then we're going to do another round of it. And then you're going to go down to the cities, yet you're going to have a bone marrow transplant. They're going to give you drugs that is going to kill everything of your bone marrow. There won't be anything left. And if you don't have a bone marrow transplant at that time, you will die because your immune system is entirely gone. So we knew what was coming, but so we're, this is the first round, and I'm going to try to condense it to that as much as they can possibly can. This is what Jerome looked like to begin with. Can we do the second? Picture now. That's Jerome when he's getting his bone marrow transplant. Um, it it's a long process. He got sick, got sick. We'd throw up. He wouldn't be able to eat. the The chemo does different things to your body at different times. Um, he would throw up and throw up and throw up. And. Um, I tried to work as much as I could that first time, so I would be going back and forth. Kay always stayed with him. One of us always stayed with him. Or Grandma B would stay with him. Okay. In the course of his treatment, I would come home and try to work as much as possible, and I would call every day or a couple times a day and see how it was going. On one of those days... It was a Wednesday I called, and Kay had been having a very tough time. And I said, do you want me to come out? And she said, yes. So I got out there on a Wednesday, sometime in the afternoon, late afternoon, and Jerome was on a lot of drugs, but he started to hallucinate. And I don't know if we have ever been around anybody who's hallucinating. They see lots of different things, spiders especially. So there are spiders on the wall. Kay would come close to Landon, or I mean Jerome, and he'd say, oh, man, you're all covered in hair. And it's kind of funny to begin with, but it doesn't stay funny very long. And literally that whole night we didn't sleep. That night, it steadily got worse and worse and worse. They had confirmed that Jerome had, well, he had leukemia, but he had he had a sinus infection. He had pneumonia. He could not take a breath. So they're monitoring the amount of air. That breathing part just drove me nuts. Just take a deep breath. That's all you need to do. His breathing got really bad. He had a strep infection. So sinus infection, pneumonia, strep infection, and then he had meningitis. These are all confirmed things. Any one of these things in a person with a a depleted immune system is deadly. He was getting he was sick, he was getting sicker. We watched through the night and and he was uh, the other thing I think is interesting is he had one of those oxygen monitors on his finger with a little little red light, at least that's what it was at that time, and it was constantly going off because his oxygen was so low, and I was so mad at that thing I took it off and I squeezed it in my hand, trying to break it. I couldn't fix Jerome. And I forgot one other part. On the way out to Fargo, I listened to a song by Fernando Ortega, and it says, Sometimes I call out your name and I cannot find you. I look for you and you're not there. I've been a Christian virtually all my life. I prayed and I wasn't, God wasn't there. Everything we prayed for, it wasn't happening. Kay and I are praying together. It wasn't happening. We watched him go down that whole night. Now I want to tell you the rest of the story. While he was going down, we found this out later when we compared notes with one of Kay's cousins. One of the cousins, cousin's wife, that time, that night, She woke up about 12 o'clock. Now, we love Julie, but Julie is not exactly the prayer warrior that we thought we needed. But God woke Julie up. She said, I felt someone touch my arm. Well, Julie got up really early in the morning because she worked at 5 o'clock. So sleep for her is pretty important. She said, she heard a voice, you need to pray for Jerome. And so she said, okay. So she's praying for Jerome. No, you need to get up and pray for Jerome. So she got up, went into the living room. And the way she says it is so interesting to me is, I didn't know what to pray. So I said, Lord, be with Jerome. Lord, be with Jerome. In my mind, there's a battle over Jerome that night, a spiritual battle. We couldn't see it. Kay and I, were praying, but we didn't see God. I didn't feel God. It was a very sobering experience for me. I couldn't fix this. There was nothing I could do to fix this. On the way over when I heard that song, I'm just crying out to God, and I'm not seeing anything. Lord, I can't find you. Unbeknownst to me, people are praying. Finally, about 3 o'clock, if I remember correctly, Julie felt the voice, you can go to bed now. So she went to bed. She said, I've slept for an hour and a half, two hours. (laughs) And She said, I woke up, and I was ready to go. We made it. Somewhere during this time, I don't know, some of you know Danny and Cindy. That's Kay's brother and his wife, and we gave them a call because we didn't know who else to call. They made it there at about 6 in the morning. We prayed over Jerome.
1: Actually, they prayed over Jerome.
2: I was spent. I was, in the song that you played,
1: Are You Broken? I was broken.
2: 6 o'clock comes. They come out. We pray over him, and that's kind of where we, because Danny and Cindy were there. At least we felt relief. The next morning, Jerome is still struggling. He had lots of temperatures. They would come and take blood. And uh, the doctor said, we're going to have to put Jerome in ICU because we can't. We just feel his everything shutting down. So they put him in ICU, and then that evening, because there was no place for you to sleep in ICU, we ended up going to a going to a hotel. I remember before we left, they gave him two pills. From if you ever go through this, journaling is great because you can't remember the details. Kay said it was a Tylenol and a Sudafed. Within a few minutes, he threw up. So this is what you do as a parent. We dug through his throw-up to see if the pills were there. They weren't. And the nurse said, well, he'd probably be okay. So we left him that night, which is very hard to do. But he's still hallucinating on Thursday. So that would have been like a Saturday night that we... So Sunday morning came. We got up and we made it up to ICU. trauma' sitting up in bed watching the Vikings. And they said, no, he can go back to his room as soon as his room opens up. Our room on there, Cancer, where he was, was on 7th floor at the time in Fargo. They uh, So 7 o'clock rolls around, or not, it was after the Vikings came, they actually moved him up. His vitals all came up. Everything looked good. I went home to go back to work on Sunday night. Monday calls. Kay said, "Well, yeah, things are looking, you know, more stable." Tuesday I called. Doctor Kay, that's our doctor, our cancer doctor, said, "You can go home." So Tuesday I went out. They released him, and we went home. Now, for those of you who have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 2. All of this, I believe, is because people prayed. But there's a story in Mark, one of uh, uh, where Jesus, or Mark records what happened with Jesus. Mark chapter chapter 2. And Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. Many were gathered together, so that there was no room even even near the door and He was speaking the Word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. They couldn't get into Jesus. So they went up on the roof, dug through the roof while the homeowner was yelling at them, and they dropped Jesus down. I mean, they dropped the man down at Jesus' feet. In verse 5, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. And he was healed. I'll stop there. Read the rest of it. But at what point I want to bring out is that when Jesus saw their faith, the paralyzed man, he was paralyzed. He couldn't get there, he was unable to. And I'm sure he wanted to, but he couldn't do it. He was spent, he was broken, he was paralyzed. My story is just a little bit different from Kay, if you want to hear her story. But we both had to come to the point where we had to give uh, Jerome up. I couldn't fix it. I'm a man. I wanted to fix it. I couldn't fix it. It took those around me at that point to lift us up, to lift Jerome up, and put him at the feet of Jesus. Um I got my notes here. I want to make sure I got everything
1: that I needed to do.
2: <sighs> I think I did it. What I want to leave you with now is we're lifting up Hank and Elsie and Mom and Dad, but really we're lifting up faith. There are times where I listen to Elsie tell, it's like, I know what that's like. You as a parent, you're praying, but you're not seeing a result from it. Other people have to lift us up. That's our job in prayer. Jenica's another example. Mom and dad, I'm sure they're just beat. And there's people like that around us all the time. I pray that we see that and we lift them up because there's times that their faith is frazzled, their faith is gone. Sometimes I call out your name and I cannot find you. That's what the church is supposed to do. When we have prayer here, that's what we're doing. We're lifting these people up. Hopefully we go home and we do it there too. How do we lift people up other ways? Well, going visiting them. One of the things that encouraged me living in a small town, I always wanted to live in a small town. I did not want to live in a big town. One of the things that touched me personally living in Bagley is they did a fundraiser for us and uh, provided finances. We lived off of those for probably about six. Six months, I want to do the next picture. Just I need to add four pictures. This is Jerome. he got married, and then now the next one. okay, both of these little guys are miracles because of drome's care uh chemo that he went through, he was not the doctor said he probably won't have kids um. Wesley is the bigger one, and then Oliver is newborn. He's probably about three weeks now. This is a miracle. This is an evidence miracle. Yes. It wasn't because I could fix it. I had to be broken and finally realize that there's nothing I can do. I have to lay this at your feet, Lord. That's a hard thing to do, especially as men. i got to fix it. But until I finally realized that I can't do anything, I had to lay it before the Lord. So this is one of the stories you can look at. and, And God is always working behind the scenes. We never know what he's doing. This side of heaven we probably won't know. But we need to do whatever God calls us to do. So I want to challenge you. Who are the people around you that need to be lifted up? Who do you know needs to be lifted up? And then do it. Pray for them. Give them 20 bucks. Oh, the reason I wanted to live in this, well, we lived off of that. But also, um, there are some gas stations around. They're not around anymore. Food and fuel. Crandall's. Remember, Some of you remember Crandall's? And then um, Illy's on the west end of town where now uh is. They had a jar by the cash register. And there was hundreds, hundreds of dollars that I would stop, I would see them, and they would drop off, either give me, and that was our gas money, that was food money. But it was all. Pennies and quarters and maybe a few dollars at different times that's what being in a small community a small church affords us is we really need to be care caring for those around us so I want to challenge you I went way over time sorry but uh, I want to thank the people of this church for what they did at that time and just want to we need to pay that forward for those of us, those around us, and, uh, and be an encouragement and point everyone that we know to Christ. So, Chris, I'm done. Pastor Chris has
1: asked us to.